Hi there and welcome to uh, my weekly Parsha Shit. It's wonderful to welcome you back. I've been away for a couple of weeks. You've been listening to recordings from previous years. Parshas Bechukosai. We don't often get to talk about Parshas Bechukosai. It's there tucked away at the end of Sefer Vayikra. And it's known as the Parsha of Klolois, the Parsha of Curses. And actually, that's going to be the subject of the very first uh, Devar Torah, the first commentary that we're going to see from my grandfather Sefer Mikdash Halevi. As you know, over the past few months I've been very much focusing on Mikdash Halevi to look at his approach to the Parsha of the week. Parshas Bechu Koisai, he begins in Bechu Koisai Teilechu Ves Mitzvoisai Tishmeru Tishmeru Vasisem Oisam. So we know that the Parsha begins by giving the positive side of the equation. It's not quite as long or as shocking, obviously, as the negative side of the equation, which is quite jarring if you read through it. But the first thing that the Parsha tells us is that if you do things right and if everything goes according to plan, nothing could possibly be better. And the Mikdash HaLevi actually focuses on this and says, Parshas Kosai, we need to look at it from a totally different perspective. As Parshas Bechukosai, he begins, the Parsha Bechukosai, this last Parsha in Sefer Vayikra, Generally speaking, it is recalled, it is known as, it is best remembered as, the Parsha that is full of curses, full of the very negative predictions as to what will happen if the Jewish nation does not observe the commandments of Hashem. Anu we recoil from its contents. That's, that's our reaction. When we see some of the things that Parshas Bechukosai contains, we get very upset. It's, it's not encouraging for us. We're filled with fear and with uh, consternation about what it is that could happen to us. And sadly, we know that some of the things that are predicted did happen to us. And we don't necessarily behave as we ought to. And we are thinking constantly how uh, our lives collectively and individually might turn out badly as a result of the fact that we didn't observe Hashem's commandments. Ulam, however, says the Mikdash HaLevi, Lamitoshaldova. If we're going to grind it down, if we're going to get to the core of the matter, This is not actually the correct approach when it comes to looking at Parshas Bechukosai. Because how does Bechukosai begin? It begins with a set of blessings of wonderful things that are going to happen to the Jewish people as a result and in consequence of them observing the commandments. These are the things that are going to happen to our holy nation because we are going to, if we look at it positively, and if we look at it optimistically, these are the things that will happen when we do things right. It is for us to remember. This portion is actually focused on blessings, on positive things. And it is teaching us, it is conveying to us how we will merit 
to be blessed in this way. Af she'omnam ilu amutalaleinu. On the other hand, if we don't observe the commandments and we don't do the things that we are meant to do, obviously there's another side to the coin. There's the there is the positive and then there is the negative. It is possible for those blessings to somehow morph into curses because we didn't take the instruction seriously and because we didn't wish to participate or partake of the blessings that are promised to us if we do the right thing then our lives unfortunately will take a turn in the wrong direction and will head head in a klola direction but the first and foremost aspect of Parshas Bechukhoisai is blessing that is the foundation of who we are if we do the right thing Blessing is going to be in our midst. We must remember that the outcome is totally in our hands. We can change the outcome one way or another. We can determine our destiny. These curses which are contained in Parshas Bechukhoisai, you need to understand that the whole reason that things go wrong in your life is only so that you can know that you need to turn back in the right direction. It's, it's when you turn slightly wrong, you go in a wrong direction, that things begin to go awry, that things don't work out the way that they should. And, you know, it's, it's when you feel pain that you recoil from that pain. It's when you feel the pinch of the things that go wrong in your life that you begin to reconsider your position and you begin to think to yourself, well, perhaps I should think things through differently and head in a different direction. That is the point of the Clawless. The Clawless are not there because God wants us to have a hard life. The Clawless are there only so that we can know. You know, I remember as a child there was this game called Operation. Do you remember the game Operation? There was this little um, stick that you had which had, had an electric current going through it and if you hit the side you, you were like a doctor and you had to pick out it was like tweezers. You had to pick out the little bits and pieces from inside a body. But it was metal. The tweezers were metal. And when you picked out the pieces from the, from the body that was like on a, on a board in front of you, and you accidentally touched the side because of the metal, the metal would come in connection with the metal that was at the side of these holes which contained whatever the organs were, these little plastic pieces that you had to take out of the board then a noise would sound, like a little alarm. And that alarm would tell you that you hadn't quite managed to insert the tweezers in such a way that you would avoid making that noise. Klolois, I I, I hate to make this comparison, but it's a powerful comparison. It's an analogy. Klolois are are just there as an alarm. When things go wrong in your life, it's an alarm. It's there beeping in your head. It's a red light that's flashing, that's telling you Things are going wrong. You're doing things which are wrong. And you need to reconsider. You need to reflect so that you can do things right. So that those kololes don't actually affect you. That they don't cause you any harm or any grief. And that is the point. The whole point of these kololes are only there to tell you, to redirect you in the correct direction. 
If we do the right thing so that we don't get hit over the head. Nobody wants to get hit over the head. If we do the right thing, if we follow the directives of Hashem, in if we go in the ways of Hashem and we observe his mitzvahs, these klolos will never come into effect. They will never be triggered. Nothing will ever happen. And we will only be benefiting from these blessings. That's all that's going to happen to us is that we will bask in the glory of Hashem and we will benefit from all the blessings that he gives us. And that from this we can say, let's, let's conclude, says the Mikdash HaLevi, on the basis of what we've just discussed and described. Our parsha, this parsha, parshas habrochis. Don't call it parshas haklolis. Don't use the reference of klolis to define this parsha b'chukosai, because that's kind of secondary. Even though it seems to dominate the parsha, it's parenthetical. It doesn't need to be the main event. Our parsha is a parsha of brachos. In b'chukosai teleichu v'esmitzvosai tishmeru. That is the essence of the parsha. Va'aleinu muta lidoig shehi omnam tiakazu, and that's what we have to think about. On every day, we have to think as if we are holding those little tweezers and we don't want the buzzer. We don't want the alarm to go off when we, so that we, because we've touched the side and done something wrong. By doing the mitzvahs that we are required to do, the and from this, we will benefit from in the present and in the future from all the good that Hashem has to give us and we will know the brachas that have been promised to us at the beginning of Parshas B'chukosai. The second Torah. The second piece in Mikdash HaLevi focuses on a posuk about the fact that we will benefit from the brachas of Hashem in terms of the bounty that we will reap and the in, uh, immense harvest that we will benefit from if we follow the directives of Hashem. Your threshing will exceed your vintage. Uvatsir Yasig Zara, and your vintage will exceed the sowing. That everything that you get will be much more than you've expected. That's the bracha, the greatest bracha that you could ever imagine. Is that you? It's like when you make an investment. You put an investment, and somebody tells you, you know, if you invest in this company, then you're going to make ten percent or twenty percent or whatever it is. You put your money in, you put your hundred dollars in, or a thousand dollars, and you expect to get twenty percent. You're going to get hundred twenty dollars, hundred or twelve hundred dollars as a result of this investment. Imagine you invest in a share, and you put the money in a share, and six months later, that share which you put in. $1,000 is now worth $10,000. It's a 10x investment. Can you imagine such a thing? It's amazing. That's the bracha that Hashem promises us in B'chukosai Telechu Bes Mitzvosai Tishmeru. That you will make an investment, you'll sow into your field, but what you get out of your field is going to be in excess of what you ever imagined would be the bounty, would be the harvest that you would reap at the end of the season. You put in and expected whatever it was, and you got much, much more. That's the 
promise, that's the bracha that Hashem is giving us, that we will exceed all expectations in terms of what we put in. The effort, the energy and what we would have expected is going to be exceeded beyond our wildest imagination. You will eat bread to your utter satisfaction. And what's the poshut pshat in the posuk? The poshut pshat, the most uh, uh, easy way of understanding this posuk is that you would have thought, I don't know, out of the harvest that you're going to make, you're going to be able to uh, you come up with flour that's going to make a thousand loaves of bread. Suddenly you're making 10,000 loaves of bread. You're going to have more bread than you imagined you would ever have. You're going to have so much bread, you're going to eat to your complete satisfaction. You, your family, your friends, your neighbours, everybody is going to have so much as a result of this harvest, of this crop that you will reap at the end of the season. It's an amazing brocha. That's the brocha of the posuk. You will sit in complete satisfaction. You can sit back and relax in your land as a result of this amazing brocha. Is that an amazing brocha? I think it's the most amazing brocha you could have ever imagined, right? To know that you're going to have enough, not just enough, more than enough, much more than enough. More than you need, more than your children need. Okay, Rashi says the most incredible thing. He says as follows, You're going to eat bread to your satisfaction. Do you hear that? You're going to eat a very little piece of bread, one little piece of bread. Now usually, you come to a meal, and you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to have three or four pieces of bread, I'm going to have a starter, I'm going to have a main, and I'm going to have a nice dessert, I'm going to have a cup of tea afterwards, and I'm going to wash it all down with a bottle of wine. That's going to be my meal. Imagine you come to the meal and you think to yourself, no, no, I'm only going to have a piece of bread and I'm going to be fully satisfied. Is that the way you would normally come to a meal? That's what Rashi is telling us. Rashi is telling us not that you're going to have more than you ever imagined you're going to have, but you're going to have much less than you imagined, but it's going to be enough. You're going to oichel kima, you're going to eat a little piece of bread, small amount, much less than you would imagine would satisfy you. This is going to fill you up. You're not going to need any more. Amazing, right? But it's quite different from the Poshut Pshat, from what we understood in the literal interpretation of the words in the Pasuk. And that is the point that the Mikdash HaLevi picks up on. Lichoira, he says. Oh, we've just seen. What, what is the Brocha here? The Brocha is that you're going to have much more than you ever imagined you're going to have. The Brocha is, the blessing is that it's going to exceed your expectations. Why then would they need this special bracha to be satisfied with much less than they would imagine that they would need in terms of what they're going to eat? If you've got a whole loaf of bread and you can eat five pieces of bread and there's still going to be many pieces of bread left in the loaf, why would you need a bracha to be satisfied with one piece of bread? If the loaf has 20 pieces, and you can eat five pieces, then why would you need a bracha only to eat one piece and that's going to be enough? You're not going to be left with 19 pieces. What is exactly the benefit here in what Rashi is telling us that you can eat much less than you would have imagined you need and that that would be sufficient to make you satisfied? 
What difference does it make to let them eat more? They've got plenty. You have benefited from the blessing of plenty. So eat plenty. Why would you eat less? Venira Loiman perhaps says the Mikdash Halevi, this is the answer. Shematoras habrocham yuchedes hazu. Do you know what the underlying, the foundation of this brocha really is? You know, when you eat, there's so much that goes into eating. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to go through it with you. First, you've got to, you've got to get the food together. You've got to prepare the food. It takes time for you to cook it to make sure it's, it's satisfactory in terms of its appeal to you. Then you've got to sit down. You've got to eat it all. That takes time. And then you've got to digest it. And then you go through the digestive system. You've got to get rid of it out of your body. All of that takes time. Every element of eating, whether it's the preparation, the cooking, the actual eating of it, and what goes on afterwards, all of that takes time. It takes koyach. It takes time out of your day and that time could be used for better purposes says the mikdash halevi hazman you know what you could do with all the extra time you had if you didn't have to eat so much you could do so much you could study torah you could observe mitzvahs you could focus much more time on mitzvahs if you didn't have to spend so much time worrying about what you're going to eat, imagine all you need to do was have a cup of coffee at the beginning of the day and a piece of bread at night. Do you imagine how much time that would release for you to do so many other things? Lefichach and therefore, Nisbarchu Yisrael, the blessing for the Jewish people. Do you know what it is? Kitishra bracha b'mezoinam. The bracha will be in the food itself. You won't have to spend so much time eating. You won't have to waste your time eating the food that you'll have, the little bit of food that you're going to eat, the scraps, as it were, is going to be sufficient for you. You're not going to be that interested in the food and it's going to spare you so much time in terms of what else you can do, which is positive, constructive, and it's going to be for the greater good. The main thing is that you should be satisfied with much less food. Can you imagine what that would mean to all of us? I include myself in that. If we didn't have to eat so much and spend so much time worrying about the food that we're going to eat, that we need to eat, there's as mancha hispana, and the, the time that will be released will be redeemed as a result of not having to eat so much. Lahaktish, Lelimuda Torah can be focused can be, uh, as it were, uh, you could be creative with your timetable, with your schedule. You could do so much more as a result of the fact that you need to spend less time eating by doing much more good in your life. That's the second piece in the Mikdash HaLevi. And now we're going to focus on the third piece, which is also absolutely beautiful. Hasakona Bashpas Shalilis. So he focuses on a posuk, V'nosati Sholem Ba'aretz, I will grant you peace, says Hashem, in the land. You will be living peacefully without any concerns for wars or people attacking you. You don't have to be frightened. And I will free you from any concerns that you may have of wild animals in the land. In those days, that was a great concern because wild animals roamed through Eretz Yisrael and it was possible that they would come into a home and cause you harm. Don't have to worry. No wild animals. 
They're going to leave you alone. They're going to lead their own lives wherever it is that they live. And they're not going to create problems for you in your dwelling places. And no sword will pass through your land. That's a bit of a problem. Because we just said, that there's going to be peace in the land. Which means there's not going to be war. Which means that nobody's going to be walking around with weapons. Which means that there's not going to be a cherev. So why does the Posuk need to tell us at the end, that no sword will go through the land? Obviously, if there's no war, if there's shalom, if there's peace, if we live in peacetime, there's not going to be a concern about swords, about any weaponry of any kind. So why does the Posuk need to inform us that So Rashi answers the question as follows. Obviously, it didn't need to say that they're not going to go to war because it already said that So clearly, that's not the point of this reference. That's not what the Posuk is talking about. Do you know, says Rashi, what this Posuk is talking about? Imagine there is a foreign army. I'm going to use the the analogy of the current situation. There's the army in Egypt and it wants to go to war with the army in Jordan or the army in Syria or the army in Lebanon. And in order to arrive at that location, the location of the battlefield where they can do battle with Jordan, let's say, they need to pass through Eretz Yisrael. And don't imagine that this is, this is uh, uh, somehow a fiction. It's exactly what happened in the many hundreds of years that the Jewish nation had control over Eretz Yisrael. The nations that lived in what today is known as Jordan or what today is known as Syria were often at loggerheads militarily with Egypt and they fought each other and Eretz Yisrael became a place where armies came through in one direction or in the other direction. Do you know what the greatest bracha is? The bracha is, says Rashi, that there will never be a situation where the army of one country needs to pass through to get to battle a battlefield in another country. Of course, that you will be sitting in Shalom. Venasati Shalom Baaretz, the Posuk says. So you're not going to have a problem. They're not going to battle with you. They've got no war with you. They've got an argument with you. And this is not a military situation where you're in any danger. But maybe one army wants to pass through your, your country, your territory, in order to reach a place where they can do battle with another country, with, another, with their enemy, wherever that enemy may be. The bracha is, do you know what it is? That no army will pass through your country. That's what Rashi says. That's not going to happen. Says the Mikdash HaLevi. Let's think about it. I mean, let's be logical here. We're looking at the brochus that Hashem gave to the Jewish people in the Chukosai Telechu vs. Mitzvosai Tishmaru. These are the brochus. Here's a brocha. The brocha is no army will ever pass through your country with soldiers who have swords and weaponry. Yesh Labayr. We need to understand it. If we've already been told that. The Jewish people have no fear if they in that they have nothing to fear as to the nations who live alongside them in different countries. What difference does it make to them 
that these armies of people who are not doing battle with them should pass through their country to go to another country. Why wouldn't they be in a neighborly fashion, allow a country who might be stronger than them or might have asked them for this favor, it's a diplomatic favor that they could do to this country. And perhaps the other country that the first country is doing battle with is evil. And here is a country that's willing to take them on. It's got nothing to do with Eretz Yisrael. It's got nothing to do with the Jewish people. It's got to do with a different situation where whoever's doing battle with the other party wants to go to battle and just use your territory to pass through it. What difference does it make? Why would this be a bracha for the Jewish people that they can't, uh, that they're not going to have another country's army passing through their territory? What difference does it make to them if a foreign army passes through Ba'artsam through their country? From one separate national entity, country, territory to another separate entity, country, etc. What difference does it make to Nations that have no fight with the Jewish people are going to battle and the only thing is that armies are passing through your territory from one direction to another. That's all it is. Why is this considered a bracha that should be mentioned in the course of the brachas that are listed in Mechukaisai? Venir Eloiman, perhaps the answer is as follows. When these non-Jewish military personnel pass through the land of Israel, Yiru Yisrael es hanhagosam hamuchu eres. Do you know what's going to happen? Soldiers. I mean, perhaps in the modern day things are different. There's a Geneva Convention and there's other conventions of war. But by the way, we're seeing now in the war between Russia and Ukraine that those conventions are not being observed and that there's terrible things that happen and soldiers don't always behave in a correct manner. Do you know what? The word here hamuchu eres. There's very ugly behavior. People who are part of a military uh, a group who are part of an army, they don't behave correctly. They feel very confident, they're armed, and they're away from home, and they're being hyped up to be against the enemy that they're going to go into battle with, and they're obviously anxious, and all, all of that brings them to do things that they shouldn't be doing, and which on human terms, in human terms, is ugly behavior things that you don't want your children to see. That's what happens. That's the way an army behaves. As a result of this, there could be a negative influence. We don't want negative influence in Eretz Yisrael. There could be a negative influence on their souls and on the souls of their children. That's something that could happen, not because they're at war, even if there's a peaceful situation where an army just happens to be encamped in your territory, that army is not behaving correctly and they could have a hashpa, they could have an influence on their immediate environment, which is where you live. Lefichach and therefore. The Torah blesses the Jewish people to an amazing blessing. The biggest bracha could be is that you never have to host a foreign army in your territory so that you never have to be exposed to the influences which aren't positive of that group being in your midst. So that your children and yourself won't be exposed to these negative influences or images 
to acts that are totally inappropriate. Soldiers who have no control of themselves, who are in a state of hefkerus, who behave in a way that uh, decent members of society shouldn't behave, but they're just doing it because they just happen to be in that situation where they're like hyped up to go to war and they feel free to do things that uh, people shouldn't ordinarily do. Aleem do you know what's going to happen? These soldiers are going to be in your country. You're going to be exposed to these negative images, these, these uh, things that the army are going to do, and that's going to have a negative impact on your behavior. Because don't imagine you're ever immune to things that you see or things that you experience as a result of the people you meet or the people who are in close proximity to you. That is the bracha here. The bracha has got nothing to do with war. It's got nothing to do with military. It's got to do with exposure. It's got to do with the fact that people may misbehave as a result of seeing things that other people do that can be uh, construed of as misbehavior. As a result of this, we can learn. We can understand. We can appreciate. You know what? We sometimes forget just how much we are exposed to things which could influence us in the wrong direction and how powerful that influence is. You know, in Yiddish you have an expression, when you see the way sometimes Gentiles behave and they don't behave in a correct manner. You know, you see uh, um, people's behavior, you see their immorality or amorality, you see mass shootings, you see people who are behaving in a fashion that is complete hefkerus. You think to yourself, well, that's not me. I'm a good person. I live a life which is moral. I live a life which is safe. I'm careful. I'm honest. I'm doing all the things which are right. And of course, you're absolutely correct. That's the way you live. And you think to yourself, well, there's these, those on the outside, in the periphery of my life. I read about them in the newspaper. I see news flashes about them on my phone, but it's got nothing to do with me. It doesn't just the fact that I know about it doesn't mean my exposure to them doesn't mean that I, my behavior is going to change. Don't imagine that that's the case. The smallest exposure to things which can undermine your sense of morality, not because that's the way you behave, but just knowing that those things exist will influence the way you think about those things and may change your perspective, however slightly, and bring you closer to that way of behavior. And even that is a compromise with the perfection that we all seek in the way that we behave as human beings, as people who are the servants of Hashem, who are Avde Hashem. Even if we're not talking about something which is an influence which is continuous or permanent, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a fleeting moment. You're exposed to something which you would never imagine seeing and you'll never see again. But simply seeing it on a one-off and having been exposed to it, it will have made an impression on you and that impression can have a long-term impact and you'll, be still, you'll still be acting on it months, years later, as a result just of having seen that thing. We're talking about something which is short-lived, which is temporary. Even that temporary influence can have a permanent impact on the way you behave. Such as 
a foreign army which passes briefly from one country where they're coming from to the country where they're going to war, that in and of itself, that's what the Torah is telling you, is, can have such a powerful influence. The greatest bracha would be is if you never have to be exposed to that negative image which you'll see as a result of having been exposed to that army. And if that's such a great danger, if being exposed to a fleeting uh, encounter with a foreign army is considered such a grave danger that the Torah feels the need to bless us, that that is not going to happen. The ultimate blessing is that you won't be exposed to that. How much more so? Let's think about our own situation. We're not talking about fleeting influences. We're talking about permanent, constant barrage of influences that impact on our lives on a constant and ongoing basis. We are surrounded by people whose behavior goes against everything we stand for, whether they are of the faith or the Jewish faith or whether they are Gentiles. And of course, there's righteous Gentiles. And of course, we're surrounded by people who are not in any way uh, consciously doing things which are bad to influence us in a negative fashion. And yet, we are exposed to things which run counter to the Derech Hashem, to the way that Hashem wants us to be. That poses a grave danger. How much more so, says the Mikdash HaLevi, is that a danger? If, If the Torah wants to focus on the fact that a fleeting encounter with an army that may pass through your country is something that requires a blessing so that it ought to be avoided, how much more so should we be thinking how everything that surrounds us could be an influence on us and on the way we think. We need to strengthen our status, our situation, the way we feel, the way we behave, who we are. And we need to stand mighty, we need to stand strong in our faith, connected, so that we can, and we can counter, we can stand in opposition to that we can reject all of these negative influences that surround us at all times. And those, says the Mikdash Alevi, gives us his own bracha. Those who come and want to stand up, they want to purify themselves, they want to be pure. That is their intent and the thinking all the time, how can I prevent those negative influences from impacting me? Hashem will help them, Hashem will ensure that they will be protected and that they won't be influenced in such a negative way. And finally, one last piece, it's a slightly longer piece from the Mikdash Alevi, another beautiful piece. The Pasuk says, Not an unusual Pasuk to find in the Torah. Many, many times we are reminded by God that he was the God who took us out of the land of Egypt. And each time there's a slightly different context as to why that particular aspect of our prehistory is being mentioned. Do you know why we were taken out of Egypt? Because Hashem wanted to remove us from the bondage of slavery. And Actually, the language he used is very powerful. It goes even further. Not just that you were removed from being slaves, that you're no longer slaves. 
I broke the bars, the shackles of your yoke. And um, you you will be standing straight, tall, erect. That's the idea here. So there's two approaches, as the Mikdash Shalebi is going to tell us to this posuk. One is that it's just a statement of praise for Hashem. Hashem wants to make us aware of who He is and what He's done for us. And another one is... The other opinion, and that's what we're going to talk about, is that this posuk is part of the brachos. This is, in fact, the final posuk of the brachos of the blessings that can be found in Bechul Kaisai. This bracha in and of its, this posuk in and of itself, is a bracha. Where's the bracha? The I broke and will break the bars, the shackles of your yoke. And I stand with you straight so you are standing straight and tall that you will be enabled to be kaimamiyos you'll stand straight erect tall in your lives as a result of the fact that i brought you out of egypt it's part of the bracha it's part of the blessing that's conveyed here in parshas bechu miktash alevi explains to us that there is this dispute there's debate among the commentaries as to what the end of this posuk is. Yesh hamavarim, there are those who explain, it's not part of the blessing that the Jewish nation will be blessed with when they come into Eretz Yisrael, that this is part of the bracha. All it is is a rehash. It's mentioning again the kindnesses of Hashem that He did to us by taking us out of Egypt. Lumasam, on the other hand, that these last words of the Pasuk, they're not separate. It's not another thing. They are part of the Bracha. They're not separated from the Bracha. That are mentioned in the earlier Psukim. But that presents us with a problem, says the Mikdash Alevi, because there seems to be a halacha that runs completely against, that seems to be in complete opposition to this idea of that as Rashi tells us, that you have to stand erect and tall. That that's the bracha. The bracha is that you're going to stand erect and strong and upright. To that side of the debate, that consider these last words of the Pasuk to be part of the Bracha. That, that everybody, Hashem is promising everybody that you're going to stand proud and tall. And as Rashi explains, you're standing in an erect fashion, upright. We need to think about that. It's not so simple. The Gemara in Kedushin says a very interesting thing. The Gemara actually gives a direct instruction that you're not allowed to walk in an overly erect fashion. Why? And there's a scriptural reason for it. There's a posuk. The posuk is in Divrei Hayomim. The posuk says, 
that no, it's in Tehillim. The Pasuk says that the whole world is full of God's honor, full of God's glory. How is it possible that you're going to walk upright as if you're full of glory? You've got to make some uh, observable, you've got to do something observable that demonstrates that you are aware that you are not Mole Kvoid, Kvoid, that Mole Kola Oretz Kvoidoi, that the world is full of Hashem's Kvoid, full of Hashem's glory. And it's very interesting. There's actually a, a, a Simon in Shulchan Aruch. Simon, this can be found in Arachaim, Simon Base, Simon Vov, that, um, that the Sif Vov, that the Shulchan Aruch tells us a very interesting thing that you're not allowed to walk in an overly erect fashion. And this Gemara is the source of this halacha. It's the same halacha that tells you you shouldn't walk Arba Amos without a head covering. It's also Gemara, it's based on Rav Huna. Rav Huna never walked anywhere without wearing what we call today, yarmulke, kippah, kapal. You have to wear something on your head. It's the same halacha, although you should know and, and uh, yeah, this, is, this is interesting. If you look always, you have to look at every halach in the Shulchan Aruch to see how the Noisa Kalim, how the, the uh, super commentaries on the Shulchan Aruch, how they interpret each halacha. And the Mogen Avram and the Kafachaim say, for example, the, even less than four Amas, you can't walk with a Koma Zakufa. That it's, it's not correct to walk even one step in an arrogant fashion. To show that you are Mole Kovoid. Why? Because Mole Kolaaretz Kovoid. Because the, there's no room for your arrogance in a place where God is filling that space. It's not appropriate for you to demonstrate that level of arrogance. That's what the Kafachaim, he's a Svardi Poisik, says. And of course, the Mogan Avram is an Ashkenaz Poisik. You're not allowed to walk Arba Amos in an arrogant fashion. And in this same halacha talks about walking. For Amos without a yarmulke, but that's slightly more, that's kuladik, you know, that's not quite this, as strict in terms of its interpretation. Ravuna, it says, didn't walk anywhere for Amos without a, a head covering. Uh, but Aloha is not so chomor about that. And it seems it's much more focused on the fact, for example, you're not allowed to say Hashem Kodesh, you're not allowed to say Hashem's name without your, your head being covered. And by the way, the Aloha is very clear. The Marshal says, you're not allowed to use your hand. Some people think, that, oh, they put their hand on their head. That's going to be sufficient. You could say a bracha with a hand on your head. You can't use your hand to cover your head. Do you know why? Because your hand is part of your head. It's part of the same body. You have to have a separate object that covers your head. And therefore, your hand is not, is not sufficient to cover your head because your hand is the same body as your head. So Shaila, for example, I'll give you an interesting Shaila. Can you use somebody else's hand to cover your head? I'll, I'll let you look in the Shulchan Aruch and see what the Noisa Kalim say about that. Whether or not it's permitted to use somebody else's hand to cover your head, for example, when you make a bracha because you're going to eat something. And by the way, we're just talking about making the bracha. The eating, that's, that's, that, you know, it's, it may not be the most important thing in the world to have your head covered when you're eating and you're not moving. Uh, and it's very interesting, the Bar Hetev says... Um, the Mar sorry, the Maharshal says that um, the covering of your head only applies when you're walking tachas harakia, but when you're at home, the roof of your house is considered a cover. That's interesting, isn't it? 
So do you need to make a bracha with your head covered with, let's say, a yamulka, with a kippah, if you're in a house where there's a roof which is already considered a cover over your head? It's an interesting shaila. Anyway, this is all in this particular halacha that's bought in Shulchan Aruch, and it's all based on the fact that the Gemara says, the Gemara is very clear, the Gemara in Kedushin, Daflamad Aleph, that you're not allowed to walk for Amas with a koima zakufa. And yet here Rashi tells us about this posuk, that when we get this bracha, do you know what the bracha means? That we're going to be walking b'koima zakufa. How is it possible that Rashi would suggest that the bracha that we get in Parshas Bechu Kaisai is actually against a halacha that's based on a Gemara in Kiddushin, a halacha that's brought down in Shulchan Aruch. How would Hashem give us a bracha that is in fact against the halacha, that if this bracha is mekuyam, that the way it's mekuyam is going to be against the halacha, it doesn't make any sense. And that's the question that the Mikdash Halevi asks. Says the Mikdash Shalevi, over Yosei Yeshla Hakshes, we can ask even more. Shari lechoira brachos musudores me me hakala be The way that the brachos are set up, and this makes a lot of sense. It's logical that the least impressive bracha, the one that's not so incredible, that's the one that you start with, and there's a build-up. Each bracha is slightly more, is slightly greater in terms of its, uh, of its blessing. It's of a higher quality than the one that comes before. It begins with with the least impressive one, and it, it increases slowly but surely until you get to the one that's most impressive. And therefore, the last bracha of all, that's the one, that should be the best bracha of all. Now, let's think about it. This is the last posuk in the piece in Parshas Bechut Kaisai that deals with blessings. If that's the logic, that it's progressive and it's getting progressively better, that this bracha, this last bracha of that's the last final thing in the piece, in the portion that deals with the brachas in Parshas Bechut Kaisai, that should be the one that is the greatest bracha of all. The Ilo bracha zu. But if you look at this bracha, it doesn't seem that impressive. That the Jewish nation should walk in a, in a strong and upright fashion. Does it seem to you such an impressive bracha? That should be the bracha that ends all the brachas. That's the most desirable bracha that Hashem could give us. doesn't make sense. So this idea of it progressing from something which is slightly less to ultimately being the best bracha of all, this bracha doesn't fit into that definition of the way it should be. The Nir Eloima. And therefore we need to say that when the Torah blesses us, that we should, co- we should be able to live our lives and walk around the Torah doesn't mean, as some of the uh, halachic 
Sfarim describe it that a person should walk around with their head held up so high that they can't see down. They can't even see their feet because they're always walking with their nose up in the air. That's not what it means. That's not the bracha that's been given to us by Hashem. So what is the bracha? This is the posseh from Divra Yomim. Do you know what the reference is? Divra Yomim base it says, His will was elevated to do the things that Hashem wanted him to do. That there's somehow an elevation within him. He's spiritually elevated and his body may follow, but his, his whole demeanor, his whole behavior, his whole character is elevated. The Torah blesses the Jewish people. That they should be enabled to carry out the mitzvahs and to study Torah and to be B'nai Torah and to be the Jewish people in the highest and most impressive way that they can, in the most elevated fashion possible. Not to be impressed or to be concerned with those who diminish them and dismiss them and tell them that they're doing it all wrong or that they shouldn't be doing it at all. That's not a bracha. Yeah, there's people who keep mitzvahs, but they're embarrassed. They feel shy. They're like Muranos. I mean, they may not have the Spanish Inquisition after them, but they feel like Muranos. They don't feel comfortable doing it because people are always criticizing them. They do it because they wouldn't feel comfortable not doing it. So that, you know, it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. That's not a bracha. That's not the way you should be performing mitzvahs. The way to perform a mitzvah is with pride, with confidence, with a koimo zikufa. That's the greatest bracha of all. Kofisha Kosova Ramah B'tchilas HaShukhan Arach has the Ramah. Moshe Isilis writes, I was last week in Krakow. I saw his kever in Krakow behind the shul that bears his name. The Ramah writes at the beginning of the Shulchan Aruch, Arachayim Simen Aleph, Sif Aleph, that's what he writes. He shouldn't be embarrassed in front of anyone who says terrible things about him because he's doing the service of God. Don't be concerned about what anybody says. You do what you have to do it. And there's a pride in what you do. And you couldn't, you know, when you, when you feel confident, it doesn't matter what somebody says. Somebody can run you down. It makes no difference because you have such confidence in what you're doing that what they say is just not going to impress you. It's not going to have any meaning to you. Says Amikdash HaLevi, from this we know that this bracha, this is the highest form of blessing that anybody could ever get. This is the ultimate blessing. This is the A1 bracha that anybody could get. There's no better bracha that one could use to, to, use to sign off for all the brachas that came before it. This is the ultimate. This is the peak. This is the Rolls-Royce bracha that we all seek. What possible bracha could we have which could exceed this in any way? This is the ultimate form of bracha. I did the mitzvah and I feel great about myself. I feel great to do the mitzvah in advance of doing it. I feel great while I'm doing it. I feel great after I've done it. Nothing anybody says, nothing anybody does is going to change my mind. It promises 
This is a bracha. This is the most amazing bracha. It promises the Jewish people that uh, help from heaven, that they're going to receive Hashem's help. That you'll be able to perform the mitzvahs you want to perform without feeling bad about yourself, without being feeling bad about doing the mitzvah with no negative connotation whatsoever. You know what? You, 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 the, any mal'igim that may exist, it's just static. You don't even hear it. It makes no difference to you. You're not offended by it. You're not even aware of it. It's of no consequence. It doesn't mean anything. That's an amazing bracha. It's important to remember. In order to achieve this incredible level, this brocha that we're seeing here at the, at the end of the final posuk of the brochas of Parshas Bechu Kaisai, it's not enough that it's a blessing. Even, it's not enough that we have a blessing that this is going to happen, even though it's a blessing that appears in the Torah. It's not sufficient. It is our duty to educate our children, and actually self-education, to inculcate ourselves with this notion, with this idea of Gava Yehudis. What translates as Jewish pride but we're not talking about Jewish pride, Jewish cultural pride, Jewish national pride. We're talking about Jewish faith pride. Pride in your Jewishness in terms of your faith, in terms of your neshama, in terms of the mitzvahs that you do. So it's not koima zekufa that you're walking with your head, with your nose up in the air. That's not koima zekufa. You know what we're talking about? We're talking about koima zekufa with ruchnius with the ultimate spiritual pride that any human being can ever feel. To feel inside of us, at our very core, the pride of the fact that we have been charged with observing mitzvahs, that we have the ability to perform those mitzvahs and to do them and to carry them out, to have access to the Torah, to be able to be Jews of faith, not just going through the motions. I keep Shabbos because at the end of Friday, I stop doing work. No, no. What a wonderful opportunity we have that we can observe Shabbos. It's not a burden to us. It's not neutral. It's the most positive thing that anybody could ever have in their life. It's unbelievable. That is the greatest bracha. That is true gavo Yehudis, Jewish pride. Jewish, not in terms of, I'm a Jew, I'm fantastic. Jewish pride, pride in the fact that we can observe mitzvahs to the exclusion of any opposing force. It's an amazing opportunity. If we do this, if we educate ourselves, and if we educate our children in this way, all of us will merit very soon in our times that the bars, the shackles of our yoke will be broken by God. 
itchem kamamius i will go with you hashem will accompany us he will be with us as we stand bekoimozakufa in the pride and the gava yehudis that we have in the observance of mitzvahs that we are keeping bevaskoel sedek ubavinyan besamikdash with the coming of the ultimate redeemer of the righteous redeemer and with the building of the besamikdash bimhera biamenu amen va amen thank you